everyone and welcome to another exciting episode of battle of the atom this is the weekly x-men podcast where we rank every x-men story from a to z i'm adam and i am zach and adam adam how is your week going so far so good i uh haven't been in any sewers i haven't had any uh you know evil death squads trying to wipe out my friends so i feel like i'm doing pretty good yeah, man. Jeez. Like, <laughs> Sorry, I, I was just hoping like work was going good. You went dark here. <laughs> well, that's because we're talking about some dark stuff this week. Uh, you know, we, we've got some Morlock stories that are going to take us down into the sewers. So, uh, yeah, there's. Are you talking? Are, are you talking about the the Morlocks that can be currently found on primetime television right now? <laughs> yes, yes. Every Monday uh, on on the Gifted, we've got some Morlocks there. That story uh, just keeps giving. So um, I will but... I will never get over how weird it is that there's weird X-Men stuff on TV right now. <laughs> it's great. Um, I'm actually behind because uh, I've been watching Daredevil instead, which is also fantastic. Uh, I am only first half. three. I am only three episodes in. I watched them all yesterday because I have a child, so I can't binge watch television <laughs> like I used to yeah it's tough it's tough to fit in like 13 hours of tv just at random but uh i think i'll end up binge watching this season of the gifted as well at some point but i I did catch the premiere and i thought it was pretty good yeah yeah it's it's got a lot of stuff kick is still around which is (laughs) weird also erg you know erg right from the morlocks Mm -hmm. morlock cyclops yeah i was a little disappointed he is in this tv show I, w- I was really hoping that was going to be the postman, but uh, I'm okay because it's still another obscure X character. Yeah, let's not let's not pretend dudes know about Erg. <laughs> no, no. But do you know do you know who I'm imagining did know about Erg? Uh, I'm gonna guess uh, the people who requested this story, maybe. Exactly, Patreon supporter Jerry Crimmins. I assume knows just a ton about Erg which is why he went on over to patreon.com slash Xavier files. He pitched in and said, guys, I like what you're doing. I like, I like the cut of your jib and I would, uh, I'd like to toss as little as $2 a month your way to get an entire episode handcrafted around my suggestion of the mutant massacre. So Jerry, thank you. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about the mutant massacre. Yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of really cool stuff happening here. It's been a while since, I mean, I've read this many times, but, right. um, you know, taking a little bit more of an analytical view of it this time. And I was kind of surprised at just how many amazing creators are packed into this thing. Creators like, you know, Claremont, both Simonsons, uh, JRJR, Sal Buscema, mm-hmm. John Bogdanov, Terry Shoemaker, Brett Blevins, Rick Leonardi, and Alan Davis. Yeah, there's even a an early Art Adams cover squeezed into a Daredevil crossover cover 
and a Barry Windsor Smith cover on the mutants. I mean, we've, we've got tons and tons of stuff. Uh, if, if you take the whole event, um, I think we're mainly covering our mutant stuff here, right? Which I think actually is the whole event minus the daredevil issue. Cause yeah. here's, here's the thing. When, when we were deciding what to cover, I said, well, I'm going to look at what's printed in my essential X-Men volume six, and I'm just going to read that. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I mean, like, that was just the statement. Uh, oh, I thought you were going to read off which issues it were, <laughs> were in the essentials. I don't think it's that different than what's on Unlimited. It's just Unlimited packs in the Thor, the Power Pack, and, and the Daredevil. But Yeah, um, Thor, well, I think... Power Pack's less essential. Thor definitely is important to this. Oh, yeah, especially for the Angel story. Yeah, the, though story. the Daredevil story that comes like right after, takes place right after this, is not included in Marvel's Mutant Massacre map, uh, which was the flowchart they published. That's a very bad flowchart, honestly. Yeah, it's on all over the place. how to read this event. Yeah, but it, you know what? I, I can kind of defend that a little bit because... This is an interesting example of how X-Men crossovers have worked over over time, which is that there is a central event that is happening, and then there are all of these tangential events happening around them. So, you know, you're not getting one straight through. This isn't like Extinction Agenda, where like it's one story across all books, um, you know, but we've had other examples of this, like the Phalanx Covenant, where you have multiple stories happening simultaneously around a central event. What I think is interesting about this is, I mean, this is the first X-Men crossover. Mm -hmm. New Mutants and X-Men had had a couple of issues where they, you know, follow up on one another's storylines. But this is the first real crossover. Yeah. And heck, this is, you know, not counting Secret Wars 2, which was just a nightmare. This is kind of the first Marvel crossover the way we think of them, you know, today. It is, it's really what its success is what kicked off everything because after this came out, it was pretty well mandated that you're going to have a yearly event in X-Men every year up until like 99 or something ridiculous like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think um, it was interesting um, talking to Fabian about, you know, how, there was the editorial mandate that Executioner's song was coming up and that may have influenced like when the image guys left. Uh, so clearly this is something that became a model for the marketing of the books as we went on um, because of the success of how this went. And I think if we look at this just as its own on its own merit, I think it's very successful. Um, oh yeah. You know, we've got some really cool things. The basic premise of this, for those of you that have never read it is that um you know, the Marauders have come to basically destroy the Morlocks, the underground mutant population. Uh, the Uncanny X-Men are there to defend it. X-Factor is there to defend. Um, but we also, you know, we get these intersecting stories with uh, Thor, um, Power Pack, and Daredevil. And then there's a intersecting story that has to do with the new mutants and uh, the, the Magus coming. Do you say Magus or Magus? How do, how do you say that? I say Magus because I the Magus because I'm pretty sure it has to. It's based on uh, the wizard from the Bible, Simon Magus. Oh, okay. Well, isn't it also like a direct reference to Adam Warlock as well? Like, yeah. Here's here's the thing. Here's the thing. Chris Claremont 
for some reason, assumed that Adam Warlock was very dead. Now, Chris Claremont <laughs> assumed that characters would stay dead, would come back to bite him very historically. Oh, sure. In more than one occasion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, he assumed that uh, Adam Warlock was going to stay dead. So as an homage to Starlin, he named his space alien good boy Warlock and his evil dad, Magus. And well, became very confusing in like <laughs> Annihilation Conquest when there is a story where Adam Warlock and the Magus are teaming up with Warlock and Magus. That actually just sounds fun. Uh... <laughs> the Phalanx are involved? I think sure. that's... That's the barest. That's about the Howard the Duck line of should we cover this on our <laughs> podcast or not? And I'd lean towards no because it's very long. Okay, well that's fair. Um, but this has a, a a lot of incredibly memorable classic, uh, you know, storylines in it. Not I think notably is the uh, conflict between Wolverine and Sabretooth coming to a head, um, and then the repercussions of this story extend. For decades you know we're, we're yeah. still we still got backstory from this particular event all the way in uncanny 350 with the the trial of gambit so you know this this really does extend for a long period of time well that's the one thing that i really like about this is this event has consequence it has repercussions when they say nothing will ever be the same again as you know your generic event tagline mm-hmm that kind of held true for this. I mean, if you oh, look at what happened yeah. with just Uncanny X-Men, Kitty Pride, Colossus, and Nightcrawler get taken off the team. Mm-hmm. They are taken out, period. Kitty Pride and Nightcrawler from you know, they don't join the team again for another decade. They right. aren't they aren't X-Men characters for a decade after this. They mm-hmm. jump over to Excalibur. And Colossus goes through just a lot of crap before getting brought in during uh was it fall of the mutants mm-hmm. so it yeah. it means something and then more importantly it makes x factor which has a parallel story have consequence too because now archangel becomes a thing this is when warren loses his wings right it's, right it's a big deal now there's some things that aren't big. like it's not a big deal to thor for example Thor shows up and says, well, this was a crappy thing that happened. I should probably give all these guys a good funeral. And then calls down lightning to burn 40 miles of tunnel. Well, it's cool to see Thor overlapping here, though, because we do have the Simonsons teaming up uh, to start Walt's run on X Factor. So it's kind of cool to see him writing Thor and bringing Thor over uh, to, to lend a helping hand as part of this crossover. But I, I really got a second what you were just talking about. Um, you know, this co- this event has weight. It has consequence. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, Claremont was really bent on doing was changing the status quo of what was going on with the characters and not just hitting a reset button at the end of a crossover. And you're absolutely right. These things had long uh ranging effects that they went on for a very very long time um and they affect a wide variety of characters psylocke um you know wolverine and Sabretooth, warlock uh you mentioned angel and getting his wings removed all of these things uh are, are big status quo shifters in a lot of ways yeah now one thing about the event 
Uh, well, actually, there's there's two anecdotes I want to drop, and then actually some analysis, I think, of the event. So let's start with the anecdotes first, because they're fun. Yeah. Do you, do you know why Chris Claremont said we should probably have a mutant massacre? Uh, I don't know. What's the backstory here? So the story, as I know it, is that when they were doing their initial Morlock story with Paul Smith art, you know, when mm -hmm. Angel gets captured and Storm stabs Callisto with the friggin' heart in that real good knife fight. Oh, yeah. Uh, Paul Smith drew like 500 characters there because for some reason he was an artist who wanted to draw a big crowd scene. <laughs> yep, yep. And logistically, Chris Claremont said, well, there's not supposed to be that many. That's a lot. I should... Crap. So, so this is he... Paul Smith's fault? Uh, indirectly, yes. Okay. Indirectly, yes. Yeah. But... Now, in continuity, this is Mr. Sinister's doing, and Mr. Sinister gets name-dropped, but he's not been introduced as a character yet, which I think is interesting. Well, I love that that takes, that's such a slow burn. You know, we get an inkling that he's a character, but we have no idea who he is, what he looks like. You know, and going back to this, knowing the history and going, oh, right, Mr. Sinister ordered this. Um you know, you go back and you read it and you're like, wait, where's Mr. Sinister? <laughs> He's not in this. Now, Adam, do you know why Mr. Sinister ordered this? Um, well, in that, continuity, do you know that, why? That is a great question that I don't think probably has a very logical answer, but please enlighten me. <laughs> Are you aware of Dark Beast? Yes. Oh, From yes. Age of Apocalypse. Uh-huh. Yep. Dark Beast did some experiment stuff, essentially kind of started, helped form the Morlocks genetically or something. It's unclear. It's not great writing. Anyway, Mr. Sinister finds out about these guys and says, hold on. No, some of this is my hand. This looks like I did something because Dark Beast stole a bunch of stuff from the Sinister of his world. And mm. Mr. Sinister, being the petty guy he is, said, no, 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 no. This is like someone forged my signature. That can't exist. We got to get rid of this. <laughs> that's about as convoluted as you could get that we have. Well, but that's also a great like point about this is that you you see this story echoed over and over and over again and made more complicated over the years. You know, the inclusion of Gambit uh, as part of this story is, is a great example of that, too. You know, because it doesn't why? make sense if you read the story. No, the Morlocks no. didn't need someone, to, or the Marauders did not need someone to direct Point them, them in the they right direction. The very thin girl. Yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, I I think that this is uh, a fantastic classic story. So um, I think it I think it is the one flaw I think it has while reading this. Mm -hmm. Again, is that a lot of stuff happens and a lot of stuff is very interesting. And it builds a good sense of dread. But then it's just over. There is not a resolution to this story. It's mm -hmm. a tragedy happened. And these are some people trying to pick up the pieces. But you don't get that third act. You don't get the... You don't get that story closing. And part of that's due to the fact that this is opening up a new direction for the X-Men. So it doesn't all come full circle till a bit later, but I'm not sure it ever really comes to a satisfying end with the Marauders. 
Um, well, because it, it is kind of hand wavy, right? You know, that these are clones, of, you know, and we, mm-hmm. we find out that, that Sabretooth's, which Sabretooth is this? And, you know, it just becomes, you're right. It becomes more complicated than it does actually wrapped up. So, um, you know, I, I, I can agree with that. I just think for, uh, for what it is, it, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. You know? I mean, this is, this is still a great story. In fact, yeah. I think if we're looking on the list, the first story I want to compare it to and I want to get your thoughts on mm-hmm. is Uncanny X-Men 162 to 167, The Brood Saga. I like this better. Um, I think that's fair. Brood, yeah, I think Brood Saga is is pretty solid. Um, it's got that space cosmic fun stuff going on. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, rereading that, I was impressed by it. But I think the sheer quantity of creative power going on here is, is pretty impressive. Um, it is. So you and, think this goes above number 16? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it'd be interesting to compare it against X Factor Fall of the Mutants or Wounded Wolf, too, because Fall of the Mutants is sort of, uh, I think we established that that was the high point of the Fall of the Mutants crossover. Um, do you think that's better than this? I think Mutant Massacre is stronger than the X Factor issues of Fall of Mutants. Okay, so now we're now we're sort of looking at how high we want to go here. Um, I know it's not better. It doesn't break our top ten because it's not as good I, as I that bar say, issue. Yeah, I was going to say that one Colossus is chugging up fighting a bar. Yeah, but I I think it might be a good number eleven. Um, you know, it has a savage quality to it that does kind of match the horror that we see in Cullen Bunn's Magneto one to three that we have at number 11. Um, but I think that this is a real landmark for the series. Um, if you're going to point X-Men fans or, or new X-Men fans in the direction of something they absolutely need to read, I, I think that this is really necessary. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think that's a fair spot. I think we could debate above or below Magneto, but I'm fine putting it as our new number 11. All right. Because I, th- I do think it's better than 13, which is, uh, or I guess 12, which is the murder world story. Yes. Uh, that first one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think this is a, I think this, this is a good new number 11, Mutant Massacre. Yeah, definitely a classic. So folks, if you haven't revisited or if you've never read it, make sure you check it out. Now let's talk about, yeah, eventually the Morlocks came back. The Mutant Massacre, frankly, did not stick. Um, uh, yes, but it does leave the Morlocks in a bit of disarray. Yeah, I mean, they eventually all regrouped. Uh, Callisto got hot for a little while, and then uh, then, it, then Mask came and changed all that in a weird story that we're going to take the title of the second issue. Morlocks Take Manhattan from Uncanny <laughs> X-Men, 291 to 293. This was written by professional comic book writer Scott Lobdell with uh, art by Tom Rainey and Rurik Tyler. Mm-hmm. Um, this is... What? Adam, Adam, this oh. is your this is your bailiwick. This is your wheelhouse. <laughs> what What's going on here? Um, I even remember reading this at the time going, this is bad. Um, so maybe we should just talk a little bit about what this is, because this is sort of, um, a, let's talk about 
you know, what this is a combination of, because we're following up on a couple of different storylines. Um, we're kind of revisiting the after effects of Mutant Massacre. Um, we are following up on Mikhail, uh, Peter's brother from the- His space the, brother. Right, from Enter the Void. Um, and then we're also following up a little bit on some Siege Perilous stuff that had happened to Colossus um, with, as you mentioned before, Callisto um, being transformed into sort of a beautiful woman that Colossus is strangely attracted to for, you know, in that, in that era, Claremont's experimenting with a great deal of things. And Lobdella has the, uh, task here of sort of wrapping these things up and it's, um, a mess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mikhail, Mikhail's evil now. Right. Uh, which kind of comes out of nowhere. They play it off. Like he's having a mental breakdown but it doesn't work very well. He does turn a guy into a tree, which isn't very cool of him. <laughs> and then he, then he takes over the Morlocks and decides that their only escape is the sweet release of death. Right. And yeah. There's going to be a, a suicide pact. Uh-huh. Yeah. That, that was, that was out of nowhere. So Mikhail doesn't really work. Callisto feels just wildly out of character here. She's very, homicidal in ways that don't really work no and and is um very attached to the the beautiful form that she had post siege perilous that that does not line up with her character um no it, it doesn't make sense it it <laughs> results in the death of um of the sewer wizard uh who uses oh, the last of his of his healing powers to to transform her back how okay okay hold on people talk about lazy names <laughs> healer has the worst like code name right because his yeah. code name is both a description of his powers and a description of his only role in any story well that's all he, he has does. no personality he is there to be the plot device that heals people He's also dressed like a wizard. So. I mean, there's that. Dang it. Look, this episode, there will probably be about three or four episodes of The Gift that have come out since the time I last watched it. And when this episode comes out, but I really hope at that point, you know, Healer the Sewer Wizard has shown up <laughs> in full regalia. That would be fabulous. Yeah, blue cloak, you know, dressed like, uh, you know, Mickey the Apprentice. That would be great. Um, what, what do you think of the art in this? Because we have Tom Rainey um, doing these three issues and, uh, you know, it's a, it's an interesting style. What, what do you think about it? I don't think the art's great in this. It okay. feels, it feels rushed. It definitely feels like one guy's doing breakdowns and another guy's doing the finished pencil work. And then it's getting inked by some guys. And I don't know it it has a very hyper nineties feel to it. It it's definitely that second generation. Oh crap. We lost the image guys. We got to find something to, you know, someone who can ape their style. Yeah. You know what? It's interesting. Cause right before this arc, we have uh Will Sportatio um, who did, who was part of the image exodus. And it's interesting to me that, you know, Rainey is sort of, he's in a different camp. He's not imitating Jim Lee. He's not imitating Rob, uh, he, but he is taking little hints from Larry Stroman 
in a Wills Portatio style. And yet he has his own sort of cartoony feel to what it is that he's doing. Um, you know, there's, there's some very interesting like double page spreads that kind of look like pinups gone wrong. And mm -hmm. it, it's a, it's a very strange story, both in terms of the actual text and the way it's illustrated as well. Yeah. I think for me, I don't think the art worked out and I don't think a lot of the story beats for the actual X-Men worked out the way that Lobdell was planning. Uh, in particular, one, everyone's just mean to Colossus in this era. And I think there's a good payoff for that eventually with him becoming a acolyte in, a, you know, Fatal Attraction. But it does suck to be Colossus right now. Uh, yeah, that, that could be the understatement of this era. I mean, it is not fun being Colossus and it literally it is... everyone he knows dies. Yep. Yep. In like three, three subsequent stories, his entire family dies. Oh, poor yeah. guy. Well, and this, this story does have the potential to be a, a pretty significant follow-up to Mutant Massacre. Um, we have all this uh sort of angst and grieving by by angel that seems a little bit much um okay hold on for one second on angel hold yeah. on for one second on angel scobdell obviously did not read mutant massacre right before he wrote this it was just kind of going off of memory because he gets so many specific details like not small details pretty good sized details just wrong oh yeah no the timeline seems mixed up in the way that he's describing things he calls the Marauders the Reavers. Mm -hmm. He says Angel got pinned up to the same thing where Callisto had actually just tied him up for to be her sex slave thing right. in that other Morlock story. Also, Thor burnt all of those tunnels, so probably not going to have your blood splatter still there. Yeah, yeah. There's not going to be cinder blocks with your blood stains on them years later, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't. It. I'm not saying that an editor has to, you know, can't make mistakes. But that definitely felt like Bob Harris uh, just gotta let his uh, money machine keep printing. <laughs> well, I'm I'm sure that this sold lots of copies. Um, it was a fairly it, successful era, Adam. Yeah, I I, I, I remember. Um, but it's not successful. You know, even the depictions of the Morlocks are just so different than what we had seen before. They're depicted as sort of like these sloppy jello monsters, and it's just kind of a mess. So um, I, I don't think this is going to rank too high here. Um, I don't, because it's not great. Also, Gene kills a guy, and it's not very good. Yeah. And like Professor Xavier's weird in this. The whole mm -hmm. thing's not great. Well, this is we... this is not story that i want to wanted to revisit <laughs> well we have into the void down at 118 uh and that's the portatio x-men fight predators judgment war style and find mikhail is this better or worse than that it's not better no i think it's way worse <laughs> um well we we don't have a ton of way worse we have 160 stories on the list right now yeah, uh, another Colossus story that's a bit below it. I don't think this is better than the death of Colossus at 126. I was just about to say that. I would agree 100%. So uh, it's below both of those. How low are we going here? Is it worse than the Jim Lee Mojo story? Uh, I think so. I mean, I, I think, I mean, that I think it's... I... Yeah. 
I think it definitely is. I think it's worse than Adam X the Extreme is back and things have never been deadlier. <laughs> yeah. Um, is it worse than Felix Covenant Life Signs at 149? Ooh, that's a good that's a good comparison. Um, I think it might be. I mean, that has some fun Wolverine cable blowing stuff up stuff. It has some. Nope, nope, nope. Life Signs is the ones with Doug Glock. Oh, wait. Oh. I've got Life Science is the bad one. Oh, that is really bad. I don't know. Maybe this is slightly better than that. I think this, this might is... be slightly better than that, but I don't think it's better than the survival guide to the mansion. Yeah, like I'm looking at that. I'd rather, I'd rather read the survival guide to the mansion again. <laughs> I think that decides it. It's our new 149. This is it. This is our new 149. Uh, Uncanny X Men. 291 to 293 uh, Morlocks take a Manhattan. And I would just like to note that I am offended that they uh went with the Muppets parody there. Uh, it's, uh yeah, it's a what a choice. movie of my childhood. <laughs> what a choice. What a choice, Scott Lobdell. You just you're full of decisions, my dude. Um I would though, I I, I would like to talk about this next story that we've got here because um this one was kind of a surprising delight for me. <laughs> I had not read this before. Um, this is Uncanny X-Men Annual number 18. From 1994? You're telling me that there was an Uncanny X-Men story in 1994 that you didn't read? Yeah, I, I had never... I mean, I remember this cover, but I guess I, I hadn't picked this up. Um, How this dare is... you skip an annual, Adam? Yeah, but I mean... This one was a real mind bender for me uh, <laughs> because there were moments in it that felt like they were plucked directly out of my brain. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the fact that you plagiarized this comic for Bish and Jubes, Adam. Yeah, without ever having read it. I mean, the, one of the things this podcast keeps doing to me is realizing that like any idea that I might have about the X-Men has probably already been written. Um and I may be trying to play it for laughs or, or to make it silly. And this was not played for laughs. And <laughs> it's it's just always a weird thing when I realize that there was an age of strife or that Caliban does have candy bars that he wants to hand out to Jubilee. Um, yeah, these are these are wild moments for me. Yeah. Uh, Glenn Hurdling was way ahead of you, as yeah. was penciler Ian Churchill. Uh, I really enjoyed this very 90s story. It's such a, a, a product of its timeline. Um, Caliban has abducted Jubilee and is hoping to exchange her for the imprisoned slash in therapy Sabretooth who's in the danger room. Um, and it doesn't go the way anybody really wants it to. So for some reason, Kitty Pride and Sabretooth end up entering the sewer system to rescue Jubilee and uh, hijinks and Sue. How's that? That's about right. Here's yeah. the thing. Why does anyone ever think it's a good idea to try and rehabilitate Sabretooth? I Never don't understand idea. it. We've tried it like four times. Yep. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Sabretooth is a bad guy. He's not even Magneto, I do some good things sometimes, bad guy. No, Sabretooth is a bad, bad guy. Sabretooth <laughs> is 
a murderer. He is a rapist. He is a genocidal boy. He is every bad thing Sabretooth has done. So, like, I remember when the the fact that the fact that Sabretooth technically has been a member of the Avengers is the worst thing. <laughs> like, it's it's the worst to me. And I understand that during those six issues in volume two of Uncanny Avengers, he was technically their prisoner. But then in Rage of Ultron, which was supposed to take place eight months later, he was a member of the Avengers. So what the heck is happening there, Rick Remender? Oof. That was a bad plot choice on your part. Sabretooth is a bad guy. And do you know what happens when you try and rehabilitate Sabretooth? You try and rehabilitate Sabretooth, and Sabretooth tries to murder you, which he ends up doing a lot. Not just in this comic, but then later when he guts Psylocke and they have the whole Code Red thing or whatever the heck it's called in the middle of the 90s. Sabretooth is a bad guy. Stop trying to make him good. I guess this was Zack's hot take corner. I don't think that was that hot of a take, though. No, but it is always amusing this era that, you know, they sort of techno silence of the lambs him, you know, that they've got this like very silly face mask on him that doesn't look like it's attached very well. Um, these no. weird metal gloves that are supposed to stop him from, I guess, clawing people to death. It's just a mess. Um, however, it is a, a distinct moment in X history that uh, makes this annual pretty enjoyable um, did I mention there is a giant squid that attacks the group of them? Yeah, in the yeah, New York yeah. City hold on. There is not, there is not a, there is not a like 20 foot long squid in the sewers <laughs> of New York City. That's, that's a bridge too far, Marvel Comics. I will believe this Sabretooth man and this very sassy teen, but I don't believe that there is a large squid. It I when I flipped the page and I saw that I I just squealed because uh I I'm fascinated by giant squids and I'm terrified of them at the same time. I'm I'm generally scared of uh octopi and things with tentacles in general, especially things with tentacles that also have beaks. Um so I feel like this comic book is like inside my brain. It's really weird. Um especially because you get past the the core story and then the backup story is a Bishop danger room sequence that ends with Bish and Jubes hanging out. I was like, yeah. <laughs> did I time travel and write this? Um, yeah, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, you know, the good, the good collaborator with Jeff Loeb, the guy who did Spider-Man Blue and the long yeah. Halloween and all that stuff. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. They do a real good it's a good Bishop story. It adds some pathos to the character. It has such a good little like relationship building moment with him and Jubilee that I absolutely adore. And I really do hope in the uncanny X-Men relaunch, which may be occurring right now. Yeah. It's already come out. Uh, oh. Hopefully it was good. We live very far in the future right now, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know where we are on the timeline, but uh, I believe it is November 19th. Uh, 2009. I guess I have a kid now. Congratulations. And, uh, you know, happy almost Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how that works. I currently do not, but I think by this point I will. Man, that's a weird thing to think about. Regardless, I do hope that in Uncanny, uh, Bish and Jubes get some screen time together. That would be cute. 
Yeah, I believe that Jordan did promise on Twitter recently that the big things are in store for Bishop, at least. And they seem to both be featured in proximity on covers and things uh, when I when I see them coming out. So some exciting stuff there. This this book, though, um, it may not be of the highest quality. I think Ian Churchill's art is, uh, you know, questionable. Um, however, it just speaks to the zeitgeist of what was going on in the X-Men at that time. And I find it somewhat just delightful to read. Yeah, it's it's a good one shot. It's a very mm -hmm. good. It's what an annual should be. It develops some characters. It gives you some insights. It's got some cool pinups. It's a good one shot. Mm -hmm. uh, another good one shot we have on this list uh, is at number 50 right now, which is Excalibur Mojo Mayhem. And I don't think it reaches those heights. No, no. I, you know, I, I want to be, you know, fair with this book, even though I enjoyed it a great deal. I, I don't think that it's objectively like fantastic or anything like that. Um, you know, <sighs> trying to think of something else on the list that maybe is a little bit more in line with uh what we're reading here and well i think it's better than fatal attractions at 97 okay i i like that fatal attractions is not a huge um you know highlight for me um well how do you think it stacks up against that excalibur drinking story excalibur 91 i Mm, that's very comparable. Yeah. Here's what I'd say. I think the Excalibur bar story is better. And I think that uncanny X-Men 15.inh is probably better for me. It hits what I want out of a comic a bit more, but I think this is definitely better than the first two issues of exiles. I was going to say, I think that's the sweet spot right there. Cause uh, I wouldn't put it against, that white queen scene in uh, 15 INH, but it's definitely better than those exiles issues. So is this our new 96? This is our new 96. This is uncanny X-Men annual number 18. And that wraps up another episode of battle of the Adam. Nice. Man, I'm excited. We did. Yeah. You know what? I'm just going to say, Adam, I think Patreon supporter Jerry Crimmins is going to be very happy. I hope so. I mean, those were some good sewer stories. So uh, thanks for taking us there, sir. <laughs> thanks for the sewer stories, Jerry. <laughs> wow. If, if you want, if you want more sewer stories like Jerry, you can go over to patreon.com slash Xavier files. Uh, if you pitch in at any level, you get something. If you're at the dollar a month level, we'll let you in on what stories are coming up next. You'll get to be part of our Boda book club and, you know, maybe read along so you can know what we're talking about when we're talking about what we're talking about at the $2 a month level. We'll handcraft an entire episode around one of your suggestions. Uh, but it's really cool. If you like the show, go support it that way. If you can, if you can't maybe leave us a rating and review on your podcast app thing of your choice, that would be great. If you can't do any of that, uh, Tell your friend. You got a buddy who likes X-Men? Say, hey, uh, Nigel. <laughs> Nigel, you like X-Men. You will probably like these two dinguses talking about X-Men for 45 minutes. How about you <laughs> give it a listen? And then Nigel, maybe he will write us a rating or a review since you obviously don't have the time. <laughs> that came off as mean, and I'm sorry. This is not to shame you that much. <laughs> 
Nigel clearly <laughs> likes dinguses who talk about X-Men, so he's going to leave us a comment. <laughs> oh, boy. Thank you, Nigel. Thank you, Nigel. Now, if Nigel wanted to follow you on Twitter, Adam, since he's obviously new to the show, how would he go about <laughs> doing that? Guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy, and got new pages of Vision Jubes Attack in the Mansion coming out every X-Men Monday at adamreck.tumblr.com. Uh, I believe by this point, um, a cool collaboration that I've been doing with Retcon X has come out. It is a album's worth of songs that were inspired by Legion, the FX TV show. So um, very excited for you guys to hear that. Should be out for at least a week or so by the time this episode comes out. So, um, you know, I think that's going to be streaming on Spotify, SoundCloud, stuff like that. So make sure you check it out and we'll put a link up on the uh, the page or I'll, I'll have it on my Twitter account. And if you keep on listening after we're done saying the hope you survive the experience part, uh, you can hear one of those songs who, yeah, I don't have any of the titles in front of me, uh, but it'll be very good and it'll be all in the episode notes. So go check that out. If you want to check out some other stuff that I do, maybe go over to XavierFiles.com. That's where you get all the latest X-Men news and articles and stuff and things. Uh, you can also go over to uh, Twitter and I'm at Xavier Files. It's all the same thing. Uh, people think my name is Xavier sometimes, or Xavier, <laughs> or Javier in weird case, but that's not really true. It's Zach. I introduced myself at the top of the show, and I think me and Adam have used each other's uh, first name several times in this episode, so I'd hope you'd be picking up on that if you've been paying attention. But uh, yes. I think it's been fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is good. I think this was good. We should probably give a plug because next week we're going to be talking about Spider-Man. Have you heard of this guy? Oh. He was bit by a spider. It's wild. Not a mutant. I mean, no, he's not. Or else his name would well, be okay. Spider-X-Man. <laughs> he's still pretty cool. So we're going to talk about him. Until then, this has been Bally Adam. We hope you survived the experience. Who are you, really? I'm you. I'm me. I'm everything you wanna be. I'm you. I'm me. I'm everything you wanna be.
a chemical. Electrons in your brain sending signals. When people say love, that's what I think of. I'm you. I'm me. I'm everything you want. Everything you want, baby.